good afternoon, Coto listeners. This is Julia Caulfield from the news team. I am here for our weekly COVID noon update, although we might be delving into some (laughs) non-COVID related things as well. Um, I am joined with Dr. Sharon Grundy, who's a physician at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and County Medical Officer. And we have Dominique Bruno providing Spanish interpretation. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Um, so just to, to start off, Dr. Grundy, I was hoping you could give a little bit of an overview as to where we are in the county, in the state when it comes to COVID. Bueno, vamos a partir con una eh, con un pequeño resumen de cómo estamos eh, con el COVID en el en el eh, county. Condado. So, um, when was I on last? I feel like it was on a couple of weeks two ago. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, by the way, the Delta variant's here. Um, so now the Delta variant is the majority of infections that are occurring in the U.S., particularly in, in Colorado. Um, but overall, our numbers have been decreasing. So even after this July 4th had a little bump, but it's not, it's not um, exponentially growing at this point. La doctora nos dice que, bueno, hace dos semanas atrás, la variante Delta era eh, la variante con mayor casos en, en el estado. Um, y a pesar de que eh, tuvimos un pequeño salto alrededor del 4 de julio, los números han estado bajando en general. And um, in particularly our county, we're just kind of have this little smoldering kind of cases. I don't think we've had too many more breakthrough cases, but we've got travelers and the majority of cases are occurring in unvaccinated, the unvaccinated population. Mm-hmm. Entonces, bueno, la doctora nos dice que particularmente en nuestro condado hemos tenido unos pequeños eh, saltos, pero nada tan tan grande, eh, y, y también hemos tenido algunos casos que han sido eh, casos de gente que ha estado vacunada, eh, pero la verdad es que la mayoría de, las, de los casos ha sido gente que han venido de vacaciones. And it looks like nationwide. <laughs> The seven-day kind of incidents per hundred thousand, we've just dropped out of the top ten. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> sí, con mucha alegría la doctora nos dice que eh, en general los eh, casos por eh, eh, de los cientos por eh, por miles han bajado, han bajado. Sí, con mucha alegría nos dice eso. And it, it, and kind of, they are tracking, continuing to track kind of the efficacy of the vaccines, um, and it remains at a high um, efficacy rate, low breakthrough cases. Uh, the younger you, like probably the the population that has received just the Johnson and Johnson shot, might have a little higher rate of breakthrough cases, so it kind of drops the average a little bit. Entonces, eh, también nos dice que la eficacia de la vacuna, en verdad, eh, se ha mantenido muy bien a pesar de tener estas nuevas variantes. Eh, eh, y la eficacia de la vacuna, incluso con los casos que han sido, eh, que han, que han sido eh, infectados después de tener la vacuna, es muy buena. Eh, y tal vez eh, los, eh, la población más joven que se ha vacunado tal vez con la vacuna Johnson Johnson, eh, 
han sido los casos que más han tenido este, esta infección eh, y por eso tal vez hemos tenido un aumento en el porcentaje de, de estas personas que a pesar de estar vacunadas han sido infectadas pero no con tantos eh, síntomas. And the, um So it's kind of important to continue vaccine rates. You know, I think for our county, we're doing very good. We keep kind of picking up at both clinics and the county public health um, people who are just kind of been um, what, what we were calling it kind of vaccine apathy. Uh, so just kind of like, oh, I just haven't gotten around to it. And so I think as we slowly move forward, we'll continue to kind of capture that, that population. Y bueno, la importancia de eh, seguir vacunándonos, eh, ya que la doctora nos cuenta de este fenómeno que es la, eh, eh, la apatía de, a vacunarse, de cuando uno dice, ah, todavía no lo he podido hacer, pero lo voy a hacer más adelante. Es muy importante que no bajemos la guardia y que si aún no estamos vacunados, que, que intentemos hacerlo. Um, so... Yeah, so we're kind of moving forward. The CDC also about two weeks ago, I've been getting a lot of questions as to, oh, should I get like a mixture of a vaccine, like one Moderna, one Johnson and Johnson, or should, should I add a Johnson and Johnson on, or if I had Johnson and Johnson, should I get a Moderna? And the CDC does not have a recommendation on that as of yet. So it is actually being looked at. Uh, so there's a couple of ongoing studies, uh, especially for people who were on chemotherapy when they originally got um, vaccinated or uh, are on immunosuppressants for a transplant. Uh, so I think we'll be hearing more about that moving forward, uh, but they, they have not made a statement on that. So we're not recommending that at this point. Perfecto. Entonces, ella nos dice también que ha tenido mucha gente que le ha preguntado acerca de que si pueden mezclar eh, dosis de vacuna distinta, ya sea eh, tener dosis de la eh, moderna, de la vacuna moderna, y ponerse también eh, dosis de Johnson Johnson. Eh, y la verdad es que eh, la CDC no tiene una recomendación específica al respecto, pero sí han eh, habido eh, estudios, hay, hay estudios actualmente eh, eh, más que nada por gente que tiene cáncer y que tiene problema con inmunosupresores dentro, eh, dentro de su sistema. Entonces, los estudios en esa dirección están siendo, eh, eh, están siendo ejecutados en este momento, pero no hay una respuesta definitiva. Um, so, kind of moving forward, our, our population in our county Uh, that we want to keep kind of vaccine curious uh, <laughs> is our younger population. So kind of the age below 25 to 12. So the vaccines have not been approved under the age of 12, but they have been approved for 12 and above. And that's really the population that um, that is still at risk for complications from COVID-19 and uh, would benefit from getting vaccinated. Perfecto. Y bueno, la población más joven en nuestro condado, eh, que aún tal vez no ha sido vacunada mayoritariamente, la población entre los 12 años y los 18 años, eh, que es la población eh, que, tiene, que tendría en este caso más riesgo a eh, infecciones y que sería muy importante que sigamos el, el proceso de vacunación específicamente en esta población entre los 12 años y 18 años. And as we progress through, uh, usually it's July and early August that both medical centers start doing um, like sports physicals for kids going back to um, school. 
uh, kids going off to college. Uh, so doing a wellness exam and updating immunizations for that. So we really want families and individuals thinking about like, hey, I should get this before I go. It's, it's the Pfizer vaccine that's approved for the 12 and above age group, and it does take six weeks to become fully immunized. A shot followed by a, sh a second shot at three weeks, and then two weeks after that, you're considered fully immunized. So people planning for college, getting back to school, we really want you to kind of think about getting this. And we do not have the Pfizer vaccine up here any longer. We would think about doing another vaccine clinic, but there's, you know, City Market's got it, Cortez Hospital's got it. There's multiple places to get it. Entonces, eh, el, el progreso de, de nuestro condado en este caso eh, sería para los eh, meses de julio y agosto, eh, ya que el centro médico va a empezar a hacer, y bueno, el condado va a empezar a hacer muchos exámenes en esta población joven, exámenes físicos eh, eh, que se requieren para volver al colegio o para ir a la universidad. Y esto sería una gran oportunidad para que los eh, jóvenes se eh, aprovechen de vacunar. Eh, la población joven de 12 a 18 años, eh, se, la, la vacuna Pfizer es la que, eh, se, eh, eh, la, que se, la que se aprobó para esta población. Eh, y hay que recordar que esta vacuna toma seis semanas en, eh, en dar una inmunidad completa. Bueno, son tres semanas entre dosis y después hay que esperar tres semanas eh, a, después de la segunda dosis para tener una inmunización completa. Y eh, también recordar que nuestro condado en particular eh, no tiene la vacuna Pfizer, pero sí está la vacuna Pfizer en Montrose y también en otros condados. So, and, and just kind of a reminder, another kind of push for families and anybody who's not vaccinated. I had a kind of a, a younger person see me the other day who had symptoms and I let them know because they're unvaccinated, they do have to isolate for 10 days. Uh, no matter what a test shows, can't go to work, still has to stay at home. And they were kind of quite shocked by that. And I was like, nope. Whereas if you're vaccinated and you have symptoms, we get to kind of test you and you're kind of back to work or about your business within kind of three days after getting tested. So that, that's a, another added benefit. <laughs> Sí, un, un beneficio agregado, nos dice la doctora, es que eh, si uno está vacunado y presenta síntomas, si uno se llegase a hacer el test y sale negativo, uno no tiene que hacer la cuarentena, cuarentena o aislamiento. Pero en cambio, si uno no estuviese vacunado y presenta síntomas, eh, tiene, que va, tiene que mantener la cuarentena o aislamiento por 10 días. Um, y ese es uno de los beneficios de estar vacunado. Y esto es algo que le pasó a un paciente de la doctora específicamente. And rates are very low, but if you are not vaccinated, your children are not vaccinated, you really should be wearing a mask if you're indoors uh, around people that you're not normally around. Entonces, a pesar de que los números son muy bajos, los números en este momento de coronavirus en nuestro condado son muy bajos, si uno no está vacunado o nuestros niños eh, o niñas no están vacunados, uno debería usar una mascarilla cuando uno está en actividades o en, en, en juntas eh, adentro de recintos cerrados. 
And the last kind of statement, just kind of for our update, is you know the hospital situation kind of has been ebbing and flowing. It's very impacted by how many visitors are actually in the state of Colorado injuring themselves doing things outdoors, <laughs> uh, but also COVID-19 rates. But it, it seems to be declining across the state. Y bueno, eh, como última eh, actualización, la doctora nos cuenta que los hospitales en el estado de Colorado eh, van eh, hacia... La, la ocupación de los hospitales va en bajada. Y bueno, esto depende mucho también de la cantidad de visitantes que tenemos y la cantidad de eh, personas que han tenido algún tipo de eh, accidente, ¿no es cierto?, por las vacaciones y también los, como los casos de COVID han bajado. La, la ocupación ha bajado. On that note, I you just you just mentioned it a little bit, but I feel like our this whole time so much of what we've been looking at in our area is the hospital capacity regionally just because that's such a big part of of what um, our response looks like. With I mean, we all feel it. It is so busy out there. And there are people who are getting hurt, doing other things, all sorts of stuff. So how is that affecting um, our hospital capacity unrelated to COVID, but then related to COVID mm -hmm. because of just numbers of beds? So, oh. <laughs> Julia nos pregunta que eh, hemos estado poniendo mucha atención en la ocupación de los hospitales, ¿no es cierto? Entonces, como hemos estado tan ocupados, vemos que el pueblo está con mucha gente y hay mucha gente que eh, también está teniendo accidentes. Eso directamente afecta la eh, capacidad de los hospitales y, y la ocupación de estos. Entonces, Julia pregunta cómo eso influye eh, para los pacientes de covid Um, so it, like, so we, we sit down as kind of a group every Tuesday at 1215. We have kind of this regional or San Miguel County group that's EMS, both medical centers, uh, public health. And it, again, it's just been ebbing and flowing. There's been a couple of days where, um, the Tired Medical Center's ER has had a hard time transferring people. And it's not just because of COVID, but like, uh, you know, you add people who are on a ventilator in an ICU for multiple days in a row, uh, it just takes up space. But currently it seems to be stable, but again, it, it shifts pretty quickly. Entonces la doctora nos cuenta que, eh, bueno, ellos tienen una reunión para ver cómo está la situación con otras organizaciones, ya sea el Departamento de Salud y los paramédicos. Eh, y al parecer han habido algunos problemas menores de, eh, por ejemplo, de traslado de gente con los ventiladores. Do you feel, I was talking with Sheriff Masters the other day and he mm -hmm. was mentioning too that just response is stretched thin. You know, there's a lot going on. And so from, from your perspective as a medical provider, obviously there's, you don't want people getting hurt anyway. <laughs> But... Um, <laughs> Should we be thinking about how we recreate differently this summer just because of all the other added things that are also taking up space and resources? 
Julia pregunta que, bueno, la respuesta es siempre un, es un tema importante y, y su pregunta va eh, enfocada a si debiésemos estar haciendo actividades recreativas de una manera distinta eh, este verano eh, para tener más precauciones en, eh, y no estar expuesto tal vez a... a eh, eh, Irnos al hospital. <laughs> so I think um, I think we're doing okay for now. I mean, I, I would love people to recreate in a um, mindful way, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> but um, I think we're doing well. I, I I think a lot of the strain is that we our region has grown in popularity. Um, a lot of people are staying in the U.S. for their summer trips um, instead of leaving the country. And so we're just seeing that impact of people, which which puts our little small community, our search and rescue, our EMS, our police force, um, fire under pressure because uh, we haven't probably grown to meet that demand because it did seem like it was a pretty quick uprise in the past kind of 24 months. Mm -hmm. Entonces, bueno, la doctora dice que en general ella espera que todos nos eh, tuviésemos una forma de recrearnos más cuidadosa, ¿no es cierto? Pero también pasa que la población eh, en nuestro condado ha aumentado y también mucha gente se ha quedado en los Estados Unidos durante estas vacaciones, por lo tanto hay mucha más gente en el área. Eh, y eso hace que... Eh, haya una presión extra en organizaciones como bomberos, eh, policías, eh, paramédicos eh, y, y el cent eh, centros de salud también. Switching gears a little bit back, because I'm, I'm just curious about it. Of when we look at our vaccination rates for the county, we're doing really well, mm -hmm. as you've mentioned, um, and. It's also very busy out there, and we have a lot of people coming from other places. Our local numbers have stayed relatively low over the past few months. Is public health looking at kind of where people are coming from or, you know, taking stock of where our visitors are coming from in relation to maybe a, a, a nervous or a precaution when it comes to um, our COVID burden locally? Julia pregunta que eh, a pesar de que los números en nuestro condado de vacunación son muy buenos y que los casos de COVID se han mantenido bajos eh, durante estos últimos eh, par de meses, ella pregunta si es que el Departamento de Salud ha visto eh, la posibilidad de tener alguna información de dónde vienen los visitantes eh, a, eh, originalmente para ver si es que ellos tienen algún tipo de... Eh, eh, historial o de, o de respuesta de COVID y cómo eso podría afectar nuestro nuestro condado. So the whole the whole time through the pandemic, and not the whole time, but I'd say kind of about four or five months into it, the state epidemiologist uh, did start tracking like who's in the state, like not individuals, but like <laughs> uh, but like who's coming to visit and where are they coming from. Um, so it's kind of, and, and they watch kind of what counties are kind of going to other counties, et cetera. They actually have, and they report this actually from kind of monitoring kind of where cell phones kind of move around, et cetera. 
eh, la doctora nos dice que este último tiempo el Departamento de Epidemiología ha estado eh, traqueando eh, de dónde viene la gente eh, o cuál es la movilidad de la gente que está llegando a, la, a esta área y eso lo hacen a través de eh, el monitoreo por el teléfono. Eh, hay una aplicación en el teléfono que permite rastrear los movimientos y también la exposición a COVID. And so they kind of reported as there were 26 counties experiencing a one to two or higher visitor to resident ratio uh, in the last weekend. So that's kind of, we're outnumbered. <laughs> Y lo que nos dice este estudio es que en 26 condados eh, hay una, un, una eh, proporción de visitantes de 1 es a 2. O sea, hay dos visitantes por eh, eh, residente en el condado. And it's kind of fascinating because we're in the top four. It goes Grand County, Summit County, Uray County, and then San Miguel. And we're about two and a half external residents to our local um, residents. <laughs> y la doctora nos dice que es fascinante porque también estamos dentro en el en el número 4 dentro de los eh, eh, condados con mayores visitantes. Eh, no recuerdo bien cuáles son los primeros tres, pero está Grand County, el condado Grand, eh, uh, Uray, el condado. Grand Summit, Uray, Missy Miguel. Perfecto, Grand <laughs> Eh, condado Grant, Condado Summit y Condado Uray. Yeah. Y después San, el Condado de San Miguel. <laughs> and so, and then they actually, and then the top kind of five states, it's, uh, you've got your, well, it's local residents, then it goes people from Colorado traveling around, then it goes Louisiana, Texas, Georgia. Y increíblemente, eh, esto por, eh, si lo escalamos al nivel de estado, de pues los primeros eh, estados serían Luisiana, Texas, Georgia. Eh, Texas y Georgia. And Florida is right below that. Y después Florida. So, um, I think we see that. I'm about to go out to lunch with people from Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> La doctora nos dice que eso lo podemos ver igual en el eh, en las calles. Ella está va a ir a eh, almorzar con alguien de Luisiana. And and I think that's we don't have I don't think we have a ton of prior data. Um, from like 2019, what was that ratio? But that's kind of a very interesting thing. Probably our um, tourism board might be able to kind of share some of that number with us. But this is a normal time that we have a lot more visitors than people who actually live here, right? All it takes is one bluegrass festival of 12,000 people. Not that we had that, uh, but then we're like totally outnumbered in the mm -hmm. county total. <laughs> claro, y este, bueno, este proceso es algo natural para la época en, del año donde eh, que estamos ahora eh, porque a veces solamente toma un festival para que el número eh, de gente eh, que está viajando eh, supere el número de, de gente que vive en el condado, ¿no es cierto? Ok. So is that affecting like both those numbers and oh, are we getting a call or was that just a flash? No, I think it was just a flash. Um, when, when you're looking at those numbers and then also, you know, where those you know, making some generalizations of some of where states are from and kind of what vaccine mm -hmm. rates are in those places. Is that affecting public health's ideas of um, precautions or how you're thinking about mm -hmm. public health orders? Entonces, cuando uno ve estos... Um, eh, 
los lugares de donde vienen los visitantes eh, y los números, la, la cantidad de números de proporciones distintas de visitantes y locales, ¿eso afecta eh, la manera en que el Departamento de Salud está tomando precauciones eh, dentro del condado? So, I mean, for now, because across the board in the U.S. rates are going down, I think we can, I mean, we should all be mindful about it, especially if you're someone super high risk, you're worried, you've got immunocompromised state, um, be careful around people you're not used to being around. Um, but I, I think we just have to kind of journey through it. I don't think we're going to do any restrictions at this point. And, and my understanding kind of Uh, polis is going to be enacted like there's no the mass laws uh, not mask law but the mask public health orders going away um, and things like that bueno, la doctora nos dice que como en general los números están bajando, eh, el Departamento de Salud no está contemplando restricciones eh, mayores. Pero ahora, si eh, alguien tiene eh, complicaciones de salud o, o eh, algún tipo de problema previo, siempre es recomendable que se mantenga eh, las precauciones eh, altas. Eh, eh, pero como ella nos dice, los números están bajando, entonces no, no están pensando en hacer ningún tipo de eh, 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 may mayores requisitos. Incluso están eh, pensando en eh, cambiar la regla para las mascarillas también. Um, we have a call, so if y'all want to pop those headphones on. Yep. We will bring that person up. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Uh, hi there. I had a question for the public health officer. Um, you know, uh, I heard on Kodo News last night that a local cat had tested positive for bubonic plague. So now that we've taken off our masks from COVID, uh, is there something we need to be doing to protect uh, children and pets from bubonic plague? And is, uh, I don't know if it's, I know there's a huge amount of prairie or not prairie ducks uh, chipmunks this year and i didn't know if they would be the contributor and how we could protect our neighborhoods from that situation now thanks for your question that was a great segue because we were going there anyway bueno la llamada eh, nos pregunta eh, acerca de un caso que se, eh, se registró la semana pasada acerca de un gato que eh, se eh, se, se examinó y tenía plaga, la plaga bubónica. Entonces, eh, él pregunta si es que hay que tener algún tipo de precaución, especialmente en los niños y en las mascotas, eh, ya que eh, él pregunta si es que, por ejemplo, las ardillas podrían ser eh, los transmisores de, de esta plaga. Yeah, so great call. We were going to segue to this also, and it's You know, I think people are like, what do you mean? We've got a pandemic, now a plague that's <laughs> shown up. Like, what is going on? Um, so bubonic plague is from an organism called Yersinia pestis. And it is actually, um, it lives in this region of the United States. So this isn't that uncommon to me. When I showed up at, out at, I used to also run the Basin Clinic out in Natarita. And I still remember kind of the first time hearing about like, oh, We had a cat or a different animal positive for bubonic plague. I was like, what? Um, but this actually lives in this region of the U.S. La doctora nos dice que el organismo eh, que causa la plaga bubónica es Ursenia pestion. 
Y eh, a, de hecho, este organismo vive en esta región eh, de los Estados Unidos. Eh, y de hecho, cuando ella trabajaba en Naturita, ella también tuvo un caso eh, de un animal, no recuerda bien si era un gato, pero que tuvo la, la plaga bubónica. En mm este... -hmm. It's our understanding that this form of the plague is not the respiratory form. This is, um, so this, this um, infection is passed from, you know, like a house cat eats or is, eats a small rodent that is infected or is bit by a flea from that rodent. Humans are what's called the end um, vector. We, this type of plague we do not pass on human to human so it goes kind of from a, a rodent to an animal to an animal to us and the fleas tend to be the type of transmission that will pass it to humans entonces la doctora nos dice que el tipo de, de plaga que se presenta en este momento eh, en la región no es eh, no es la forma que se transmite respiratoriamente, eh, porque de hecho está la, la, la forma en que se transmite en esta región es cuando, por ejemplo, un gato se come un ratón o una mosca eh, eh, pica al gato, eh, pero no es la forma en que se, eh, se transmite respiratoriamente hacia una persona. Um, however, you know, plague, it The other way, so we worry about, especially our vets, so we have a, so if, like we'll take an example of a kitty cat. So an, your domestic animal gets a high fever, isn't feeling well, and they gets these really swollen lymph nodes. So it has big lumpy bumps around kind of their neck. Um, and you take it to the vet. We worry about the vet because they're actually touching that kitty cat. The cat might breathe a lot on them. So a big respiratory droplet could possibly pass it on to a human, but it, it tends to be the most common transmission would be fleas. But we do worry about people and family members who are super cuddly with their animals. Entonces, a pesar de esto, eh, lo que sí hay una eh, preocupación, eh, por ejemplo, para la, eh, para, por los animales, eh, ya que eh, existe la posibilidad de que eh, estos animales que se infectan eh, <coughs> podrían, eh, no sé, eh, respirar y no, estos animales crean unos linfomas, o sea, crean unos, eh, eh, se hinchan los linfomas eh, que son, es el área alrededor del cuello y bueno, cuando por ejemplo llevamos al gato al veterinario, el gato podría eh, respirar eh, o, o ex tirar un, un, un droplet, una pequeña gotita de saliva y de alguna manera esto igual podría influenciar eh, la transmisión hacia los humanos. And just kind of a, um, the state kind of sent us the last 10 years worth of data on um, positive cases of bubonic plague. Uh, in, in like in 2020, there was actually two human cases, one noted in a cat, one noted in a dog, and then eight out of different kind of Uh, wildlife that was noted and if I kind of look at those numbers back in 2014 actually eight people tested positive in the state um, and they had much greater numbers kind of in wildlife and cats and dogs 
Y bueno, sí, la, la doctora ahora está mirando los números y eh, no han sido muchos los casos, pero por ejemplo en el 2010 hubo dos casos de eh, animales eh, domésticos que tuvieron el, eh, la plaga bubónica y por ejemplo, después en el 2014 hubo ocho personas que sí estuvieron eh, infectadas con la plaga bubónica eh, en el estado. And um, so the state also sent the stats. So for this year, 2020, uh, the plague has been found in animals uh, in multiple counties this summer: San Miguel, El Paso, Boulder, and Hufano. H U E F-A-N-O. I've never heard of that county. Uh, sorry, <laughs> if you're from here. Um, um, I don't know that, where that is either. I don't know where that is. And all of those were domestic cats, a tree squirrel, and actually one of them was a mountain lion. Uh. Bueno, y, y los números de este año, eh, la doctora nos dice que eh, de hecho sí han encontrado casos de plaga bubónica en los condados, en el condado de San Miguel, El Paso y Ufano, que no sabemos bien dónde queda, eh, pero eh, se han encontrado en animales domésticos, ardillas y un eh, león de montaña o puma. And um, both cases from last year were due to exposure to sick animals. And again, the total in the last 10 years for the state of Colorado was 14 cases in humans. Y bueno, eh, los casos, por ejemplo, el año pasado hubo dos casos que fueron en personas y en los últimos 10 años, I, I couldn't remember what's last that, for the last 10 years. 14. Four, oh, perfecto. Y los últimos 10 años han sido eh, 10 personas. Um, And so this, this is a little atypical because cold, like colder temperatures tend to kind of kill off um, fleas. And so that transmission isn't there. Uh, but as we all are experiencing kind of these hotter, this hotter climate, I mean, that's what's kind of a little um, interesting about this case is that the kitty cat was around 9,400. Their home is around 9,400 feet. So an area, not altitude, but it's a colder area. I, I tend not to, most of us don't have, I have domestic animals and we don't have a lot of issues with fleas. When I lived in Florida, Louisiana, like fleas were all over the place. So that's kind of the interesting thing as we get warmer and drier. Mm. Bueno, entonces la doctora nos dice que por lo general en las temperaturas bajas eh, no existe tanta probabilidad de, de esta transmisión, ya que las moscas eh, que podrían picar a los animales eh, eh, se mueren con las temperaturas bajas, pero como hemos tenido temperaturas más altas y el clima ha estado más seco, eh, ex, es, estamos viendo un aumento en los casos. Y bueno, esto era muy normal en el estado de Luciana, donde ella vivía anteriormente. And so I, I think kind of, I'd hate to kill off the whole chipmunk population or the prairie dogs seem to kind of be starting to come back. Like we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want you to get rid of your kitty cat or your dog, uh, but we want to be mindful about fleas. And especially if there's a high rodent population, like how can we um, maybe affect that? But, you know, nature is a bunch of ecosystems like interconnected. So we don't want to kind of go and kill off one whole population of, again, like chipmunks. Perfecto, entonces ella nos dice que la solución en este caso no sería matar a todas las ardillas o eh, a, a los animales en el, en el valle, pero sí hay que tener mucha atención eh, con, la, con las moscas, ¿no es cierto? Eh, y, y mantener eso bajo control. Y bueno, hay que recordar también que eh, no sería una buena idea matar a una 
población entera de animales, porque la, en, en los ecosistemas está todo conectado, entonces eh, hay que cuidar ese equilibrio. And so we, I think I would suggest uh, if you live in the county and you have noticed fleas on your domestic animals, like we should probably talk to the vet of how we can decrease uh, your, your pet's uh, amount of fleas, uh, kind of watching for rodents. Um, and if there seems to be an, a large amount, like we might want to kind of try to do more mouse traps and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was going to kind of go over the symptoms of it. So if you are, if you do have a domestic animal, you have noticed fleas, you've got a ton of rodents around, you'd want to look for certain symptoms. Bueno, la doctora sugiere en este caso, entonces, de que eh, nos... Eh, nos fijemos bien en nuestros eh, animales, en nuestras mascotas y si es que eh, tienen moscas o pulga, pulgones y mantener eso bajo control. Eh, y ella ahora va a ir sobre los síntomas eh, que esta plaga eh, muestra. And so they kind of, so the um, citizens with direct exposure to fleas or wildlife in the affected area may be at risk. So People who think they've been exposed should contact the health, their, their health care provider immediately. And the symptoms include fever, headache, chills, weakness, and in particular, tender lymph nodes. Uh, and I'll explain what lymph nodes are. Entonces, si es que hay alguien que ha estado expuesto directamente a um, eh, eh, pulgas o pulgones en esta área, eh, eh, los síntomas podrían ser fiebres, eh, dolores de cabeza, escalofríos y inflamación de los linfomas. Uh, and lymph nodes live in our neck, in our armpits, in our groin area. We have hundreds of them all over the place and they're kind of our first um, response when your body gets exposed to uh, an infection. They'll kind of rev up and start making antibodies and, and try to fight off the infection. So we'll tend to kind of see people in the neck, armpits, or groin is kind of where they'd probably show up. Los linfomas son eh, glándulas en nuestro cuerpo que están localizadas alrededor de nuestro cuello, en nuestras axilas, en, en el entrepiernas. Y lo que pasa es que cuando nuestro organismo eh, se ve atacado por eh, agentes externos, eh, los linfomas empiezan a, a crear más eh, glóbulos blancos entonces, o anticuerpos. Entonces ellos tienden a inflamarse y eso es un síntoma eh, que, eh, que hay que estar atento. And then um, the county has put up um, kind of signs in the area, the neighborhoods that it was in. There's a campground kind of next door also. So there's signs up discussing kind of what to watch for, kind of what to avoid and how to prevent. Y el condado está, eh, ha estado poniendo señales alrededor de estos lugares eh, o de eh, senderos eh, que muestran cuáles son las cosas eh, o, lo, o, o los organismos que uno tiene que estar eh, atentos para prevenir. Um, and so, yeah, and so the, and, and it, you can, uh, the vets who were exposed and the family, we did put them on prophylactic antibiotics uh, just to make sure, and they are not at risk from passing it on to you. So if I'm sitting with that pe person, I'm not going to get uh, bubonic plague from them. Y bueno, la, el, el dueño de la mascota um, eh, se... Tiene ahora, eh, está en un tratamiento de antibióticos profilácticos. Entonces, si yo estuviera al lado de esa persona, yo no tendría ningún riesgo de eh, eh, contagiarme con la plaga. 
And the good news is, is that the kitty cat, who is very sick, is doing better. <laughs> y las buenas noticias es que el gatito que estaba eh, bien enfermo ahora se encuentra mucho mejor. In summer in Colorado and in, in southwest United States, the Four Corners area in particular, we do see stuff like this kind of pop up. Um, we also see West Nile virus. Um, which is actually, uh, they sent a message out uh, yesterday that uh, there have been a couple of cases noted. So we just also want to be careful about mosquitoes. So if we're out camping and whatnot, uh, there's certain uh, viruses also transmitted by mosquitoes. So just, you know, be smart. Um, there are some funny things that live out this way that have been here forever. It's not new. <laughs> Entonces la doctora nos dice que esto eh, hay distintos virus que han estado en este en esta zona por mucho tiempo. Por ejemplo, eh, el West Nile virus, el virus West Nile, eh, que se transmite por mosquitos también. Eh, entonces hay que estar atento a los mosquitos, pero no hay que alarmarse porque esta, estos virus han estado en esta área por por mucho tiempo. So I guess you know. Big question, like, should, should people, should humans, should we be nervous, like, extra nervous about the fact that the plague is in the county? No, I, I mean, I think, oh. Entonces, la gran pregunta es, ¿debería la gente estar nerviosa acerca de la plaga en este condado? So, I think the state of Colorado has documented their first case in 1940s in And it's around. It's one of the organisms that lives in our region. So I think it's just being smart, being aware that that's actually out there uh, and that we should try to mitigate fleas and kind of protect our animals and our, be kind of smart about looking for symptoms. Bueno, la doctora nos dice que... Um eh, aunque ustedes no lo crean, el primer caso de plaga bubónica en el estado de Colorado se registró en 1940. Eh, por lo tanto, esto, esto ha estado en esta región por todo este tiempo. Eh, entonces no hay que alarmarse, pero sí hay que ser eh, cuidadoso y estar atento a eh, eh, mosca, mosquitos o... Eh, And we'll see, I mean, as we see this kind of trajectory globally of the climate changing, uh, our region changing, where the West is currently in a very significant drought, I think we will see a shift in certain infections. Um, and so um, it's somewhat uncharted territory, uh, but there's, this is what happens with nature. Y bueno, hemos visto este cambio global en las temperaturas y climas eh, que ha generado que existan nuevas enfermedades y nuevas complicaciones eh, con distintos virus u otro organismo. Por lo tanto, eh, debiésemos estar eh, preparados o ir preparándonos de a poco para estos cambios en nuestra región. Well, you are both very busy people, so I will let y'all get going. Um, Dr. Grundy, is there any final thoughts that you want to leave our listeners with today? Um, stay cool, <laughs> stay safe, uh, and, you know, just be, um, be aware. Keep listening to Kodo. La doctora recomienda que estemos tranquilos, que estemos eh, con, que mantengamos nuestros cuidados uh, bien y que sigamos escuchando a Coto. Well, Dr. Grundy and Dominique, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning Muchas in. Gracias. 
coming up at 1 p.m. We have the J. Rabel Experience. 3 p.m. It's Buffalo Nichols, and then at 5 p.m. All Things Considered. Thank you all so much for tuning in to KOTO Telluride.